All right, everybody, back. Bleeding. Claret and Cobalt bleeding after a 6 nothing loss in New York. The club's worst loss in team history, matching one 16 years ago. Also in the Tri-State area, Giants Stadium, April, I think, of 06. Might have been August of 06, actually, but uh, also a 6 nothing loss. All six of those goals in the second half. Here we are 16 years later playing on a diminutive pitch inside a baseball field inside a grand baseball stadium we'll talk about that we'll talk about open cup attendance records we'll talk about all these things roster construction and a lot lot more coming up on this episode of bleeding claret and cobalt brought to you by one wire fiber Hey guys, uh, Ryan and I love bringing you this content uh, multiple times per week or per month, and we couldn't do it without Adam Sessions at OneWire, and we really want you to experience the level of customer service that Adam and all of his colleagues at OneWire provide their clients, their uh, business partners, their constituents. So. Um, if you're not a business owner, tell your boss to uh, uh, upgrade their voice and their business communications by going over to onewire.co and check out all the services uh, that OneWire has to offer. Adam's a big soccer fan. We've converted the whole office into uh, supporters of RSL. And um, we just ask that you, if you have any opportunity whatsoever uh, in your business, your family's business, um, or your, you know, in your circle of, of influence to uh, refer one wire because uh, there is no doubt in my mind that they'll be able to handle all of your uh, voice communications and uh, other business uh, tech needs. So go over again to the number one wire.co and you can see the uh, depth and breadth of options available. So that's it for our proud partner, one wire. Okay, everybody, welcome back in. Bleeding Claret and Cobalt, Trey Fitzgerald, your host here with Ryan Hale, the super producer. Ryan, um, I'll be happy to share kind of my vantage point of that ugly 6 nothing debacle in New York. If that's where you want to start, your thoughts and feelings watching that game on a beautiful Easter Sunday morning. Uh, we do need to get into Open Cup. We need to talk about the atmosphere uh, at Rio Tinto with three straight sellouts already this year. Six out of nine away. All these things kind of fold into each other. And I, I guess the first thing I'll just say about the New York game is it was awful. It was bizarre. It was like watching a car crash in slow motion. Um, but I think all we can do as RSL fans and, and whatever is um, what's the response going to be? What What is the team going to take away from that? Um, what are the things they're going to do to make sure those things are only happening once every 16 years and do not become a pattern any way, shape, or form? Now, that being said, in every sport, when – Western teams go east and play early kickoffs. It's common to see this, see these type of blowouts, whether it's NBA, whether it's NFL, uh, a lot of times in baseball and hockey as well, because, you know, that 11 a.m. Mountain Time kickoff was the earliest in our club's 18 year history. 
Um, yes, we are chartering now, so it's not as bad as flying commercial, but still, you know, we got in at 10 o'clock on Friday night. Um, training, we had to take a bus an hour and a half each way for like a 45 minute to an hour session. Um, not asking anybody to feel sorry for the guys for that, but it's just complicated. You're staying in Midtown Manhattan. You're playing a game at Yankee Stadium. Uh, even if you only need to go six miles, it just takes forever. So it's a very unique road trip. And I do think all those things combined with when you're standing in the middle of Yankee Stadium, you're literally you're standing at midfield and you feel like both goals are really close. So you feel like you're always in a dangerous attacking uh, area, but you also feel like they could score against us at any time. And I think we saw some of that. The depth perception was the craziest thing for me. If I'm standing at midfield or literally in the middle of the field and I try to pick out like where the corner flag is, it's just a weird thing because of the baseball configuration. It's not kind of where where you automatically think it is. And again, I know it sounds like I'm making excuses for the guys. I'm just throwing some factors out there that I think contributed. Um, but certainly, Pablo said to me before the game, we'll know in the first five minutes if they're up for the fight. And they weren't. And uh, we clearly saw that six minutes in and then 10 minutes in. And then as the day went on, and, and that's what I think Pablo and the coaches have talked about publicly is – Look, you're not going to win every game, and that's why we don't try to judge results. We we judge performances. Pablo took a little bit of stick, I think, for saying that, hey, a week ago we were flying high, and now we're down in the dumps. Like, I get that the Toronto game was a disappointing result. It was a 2-2 home draw in front of a great atmosphere here at Rio Tinto, and we'll talk about that. But I thought that was one of the better performances RSL had had, not only this year, but in a long time. We created a lot of chances. And, you know, if Justin Miram and Sergio Cordova and Pablo Ruiz and some of the other guys have a Bobby Wood at the end, if they finish even 50% of those chances, we take those three points against Toronto going away. And unfortunately, it was a disputed kind of VAR foul call uh, that ended up making the difference. And, and you don't want to blame the refs or VAR ever. Um, so anyway, I think we'll find out here shortly in front of what could be a couple different U.S. Open Cup third round attendance records. Um, just how the team responds. And then also Saturday in Portland. So you got three games in six days, the first one in an 06 loss in a very difficult place to play against a New York City team that hadn't been home in a month, and now it was kicking off literally a five-game homestand, whereas we are running this kind of gauntlet of six out of nine on the road. Guys have been hurt. That's well-documented. Guys are coming back healthy. That's a good thing. Um you know, Pablo's used 24 players this year. So um, I think, as you've heard me say, the silver lining of all these injuries might be the experience that guys are getting by getting thrown in the fire, thrown in the deep end of the pool. And it should pay off going forward with these midweek Open Cup games when you can't play the same 11, 90 minutes Sunday, 90 minutes Wednesday, 90 minutes Saturday. You got to mix and match and rotate and find out what those combinations are. So Long way around to saying we will see what this group's, not to overuse the word mentality, but what is their response? What drives that response? And uh, we're going to find out pretty quickly here in the Open Cup and against Portland 
just how pissed guys might be from that uh, six nothing loss. Yeah, I'd say from in New York, from a, a spectator standpoint, it's tough to watch. I do think that I like the idea that a, a six nil loss is the same on the score sheet as a losing in the last seconds of you know extra time. Whatever. So it's funny because Elliot Fall agrees with you. But there's still one the of the first standing tiebreakers is goal yeah. difference. So, so I see that, but I, but I think that that does that's <laughs> you got to kind of look at it like that as, as a as a as a team that you know as bad as that loss was, it's you know you're taking these losses incrementally. You're not taking it as a it's not dropping you out of the league or anything like <laughs> right. that. Right. So, um, I was frustrated that there were a lot of the things that we've been like pinpointing with like, you know our as watching this team, like the things that looked so good in the last couple of games just weren't clicking. And I do think that like, as you're describing the experience of playing in New York, you can kind of see like, well, maybe this is, if you're not, if you're not up to speed, you know, you're not going to be hitting a lot of these things that have been so, so good. Like the, you know, Justin Miram's distribution or yeah. um, Cordova's speed, or um, even like we were talking about um, Roscoe this last couple of weeks, you could tell he was a little bit out of, place but maybe i mean you talk about things like that that line of sight and like what it looks like to be on the field i know it's always weird to me as a as a viewer watching a game at, at, at yankee stadium yeah. um the scale of that when you're seeing like the infield and how much of the field it takes up for some reason that screws up my perception because when i'm watching a baseball game yeah you know the, what that looks like or how big that is sure. it feels different than when it's a soccer game yeah. and it kind of i can see how it could throw you off like but yeah no it's a I, again, I don't want to be someone who's like, yeah, let's just take all the excuses. Let's find all the silver linings. There weren't very many silver linings. No. I, do, I do think that, that it does highlight the fact that, um, you know, these these results that came earlier in the season here for RSL were results of making the most of what this team can do. And then when you come up against a team that has the pieces in place and has been sure. successful with those pieces, like your mistakes are going to get, you know, turned around on you. So you yeah. got to be um, – it's a wake-up call for sure. I think that's the the best possible takeaway from this game. Yeah, I mean, and look, it was probably Zach McMath's worst game, although he made probably three or four really great saves that kept it from being much, much worse. Um, probably Tate Schmidt's worst game, probably Justin Miram's worst game. Um, Haziel Orozco was almost inconsolable at the end of the 90 minutes. He's literally crouching down. Uh, in the middle of the field and his teammates are having to kind of try to help give him perspective. That's how devastated he was. Yes, he got whistled uh, for a bad um, penalty foul, like 56 minute, I think, early second half. But, you know, um, you look at the frustration, like Aaron Herrera is playing his 100th um, MLS regular season game, only the second homegrown in RSL history to do it behind Justin Glad, but, you know, he was pissed. He'd, he'd fought hard to come back this year from not one but two different injuries for his first start. He had, you know, played a half hour roughly uh, against Nashville and had, I think, a few more minutes against Toronto, but he certainly wanted to be better. Pablo Ruiz, Scott Caldwell, those guys looked exhausted. Um, Chang and Brody came off the bench to try to help kind of stop the bleeding. Sergio Cordova um his worst game of the year after you know only 45 minutes um you know bobby wood wasn't um as dynamic and you know able to find that fifth or sixth gear that that he usually does so um 
it's no one single person's fault. I think it was the collective. And that's what Pablo wanted to talk about because he was asked after the game, hey, do you wish that you know Elliot and those guys had gotten some new pieces uh, to upgrade the talent? And he's like, sure, that would be great, but it takes time to integrate and assimilate those guys. And if they were here – you know, you win as a team and you lose as a team. So one or two guys aren't going to make a difference in a game like this when the overall group um, mentality, I keep going back to that word because uh, that's what the board Pablo uses quite a bit. If the mentality is not there, um, the amount of talent you have on the field probably doesn't make enough of a difference. So let me let me ask this then because I'm not someone who's around the team yeah. as much as you are. Um, and we kind of like been keyed in on the vibes. Sure. Um, would you, I mean, to have it be described that way by Pablo, like the mentality not being there is like, is that an effect of what's happening in the clubhouse or is that something that was basically that trip? Like, what do you think, like from your perspective, was it the trip? Did the trip take a toll or was it just the, or is it something, is there bigger things underneath? Yeah, I think, um, I don't think there's bigger things. The team still seemed very together. So there's not a fracture. Um, you don't have these two or three guys off bitching and moaning about X, Y, Z. You don't have these two or three guys trying to get everybody, you know, rah, rah, pumped up back on the reservation, if you will. Um, I think it was very much a group. And, and look, everybody was upset um, in the locker room after the game on the five-and-a-half-hour plane ride on Sunday night. Um at the same time, guys are also recognizing that you had seven pretty good performances and one awful one. So, okay, what are we going to do to get ready for Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday game, Thursday, Friday, Saturday game? Um, and everybody's job is different. There's some guys whose job it was um, – to just help the team get ready for Wednesday night because they're not playing. There's other guys that are trying to manage. I know I'm not going 90, 90, 90, but am I going 60, 90, 75? Like, and then how does that person manage his week? So um, I think the vibes are still good. I think the team is still together. Uh, Andrew Brody did a great interview earlier this week on 700 where he said he'd go to battle with anybody in that locker room. He thinks they are good enough, and it was a bad day. And now the response is what's going to dictate if that bad day becomes a bad uh, a series, right, or a trend. And, you know, there's there's common sayings in other sports too where you don't want to let your opponent beat you twice right or multiple times so take from this game what you can learn from what you need to for Pablo he said look we fell asleep on throw-ins we didn't do what we normally do on kickoffs like those are the teaching moments for him coming out of this game and then reminding the guys hey you got to be switched on all the time it doesn't matter who's in the lineup or not in the lineup it doesn't matter who's next to you you got to just be ready and um and guys clearly weren't ready. So we're going to find out in the Open Cup. We're going to find out in Portland. And we're going to find out, like, this team has a couple more Sunday East Coast games. We go to Nashville May 8th. You go to Montreal May 22nd. I do believe there are Open Cup windows midweek after both of those as well. So this three-game and six-day thing, uh, should the team beat Northern Colorado as they're expected to, uh, they're going to have opportunities to build on that 
on May 11th and, and May 28th. Yeah, so we're recording this on the Wednesday after New York. So before before the U.S. Open Cup game, even if I do put this together and get it out before that, I don't know that anybody would – there's going to be a lot of our listeners that will have already known the results yeah, of this game. Yeah, the Open Cup game, sure. But coming into this game, um, this does put a little bit of a – like you're talking about just the man management thing, which I think is one of the, the, the strengths that this team has had. I think that they've been – there's been able to be – players that have filled in when they, they've needed it and Pablo's had people you know step up and you know have the game of their life when they're you know in for somebody else the normal starter but one of the things that Dunny um, was hitting on during the game um, was that this is opening the door for some of these players that have been I wouldn't say pushed out of the lineup but have been you know rehabbing and not in the lineup you know because we've had we've had these performances from Tate Schmidt Zach McMath yeah. um even just a mirror where he's playing mm-hmm. sometimes, you know, there's, there's things that like, these are, these are positions that um, there is somebody there at that position already. What does that say to these guys? Like, you know, to Tate and to Zach and to, into Roscoe, like, what does that say to the people behind them, the, in front of them? You know, mm-hmm. like that's, I think it opens up a different facet to like what's been happening with the team so far, but, sure. but I mean, well, like, look, Justin Glad's coming back, right? Hopefully he starts the open cup game. Um, David Ochoa is coming back. Hopefully he starts the open cup game. Tate Schmidt, Coming off of a, a rough game, he's still young enough. Maybe he starts the Open Cup game. Uh, Everton, Nick Beesler hasn't played MLS yet this year. Um, Rubio Rubin hasn't started yet this year. If, if that's your starting spine in the Open Cup game, that's a hundred and that's that's like a hundred and fifty MLS games from last year that are in the lineup. Like career wise, there's a like it's. I mean. Justin Glad has 160 something. So <clears throat> so uh, you've also got young guys, right? Like Pierre Reedy, Bobby Pierre, who we saw both called up for the hardship uh, when we did have 11 injuries and we didn't dress enough players. Those guys were brought up for the Monarchs for the Colorado game. Uh, Pierre Reedy did play. Uh, Bodie Davis did play against Nashville. Um, Bobby Pierre has not played yet this year, but I think he's the only one in the Open Cup game who who isn't hasn't played MLS minutes. So it's a stronger group than I think we usually see early rounds of Open Cup, especially against lower division teams. Um, and some of that is the Monarchs' actual roster is only like seven or eight players. You've got a lot of academy kids that play those Monarchs games, and you've got a lot of RSL guys that need minutes from you know spaces 10 or 20 through 30 on the roster but with all the injuries this year the monarchs haven't had the luxury of using any of those guys so um but look haziel orozco had never played an mls minute and he gets thrown in because eric holt got hurt at halftime in kansas city and Hazi's played every minute of every game since then he's locked down and he's been good he's shown that he belonged you're going to have other guys. Uh, Sergio Cordova is another guy that maybe this Open Cup game is something that allows him to play maybe a different role or play slightly differently against lesser competition, and he get, gives him his confidence that he goes into Portland just flying. Justin Miram, Marcelo Silva, Demir Krylock, maybe a Wednesday night watching the team play uh, from the bench or, or from a booth upstairs. Um, that helps their uh, mentality kind of reset and, and, and provide 
inspiration and fire and perspective or whatever they may need going into Saturday in Portland when they're back in the starting 11. So uh, I'm fascinated to see how this plays out tonight. Um, obviously, I'm, I, I am ecstatic that the RSL faithful, both inside the season ticket base and in the general public, um, have stepped up to support this game, and hopefully we can uh, break some of those third-round attendance records either for a standalone game or for um, the real third-round record is 20,376 when the Colorado Rapids had an Open Cup game as part of a doubleheader with the U.S. national team, men's national team, playing Derby County in 1999 at Mile High Stadium. So... Um, we did have 17,000 for a standalone third round game against Minnesota Stars back in 2012. We've already broken that record. So hopefully we are able to get over 20,377 and break this very, what I would call convoluted and fake uh, Rapids attendance re- record, but whatever. That's a whole nother thing. Well, before we get before we get into like a little bit more of the what to what to watch for in these next couple in the next week or so, um, I do want to circle back to the um, Toronto game because we didn't get a chance to record yeah. it last week because things got crazy. But uh, um, I looked back at the score just now, and I when you said that there was a draw, I forgot that it was a draw because I was at the game. I was sitting in the supporter section, and I left that game like fired up. Like, and, and I, I don't, yeah. I didn't. I mean, I guess now that I think about it, I remember the score, but I was like, the energy in the stadium was totally different than it had than I had remembered for the last. You know, I hadn't felt like that for a while. Uh, sitting in the supporter section does help with that, by the way, in case anybody wants to <laughs> to get uh, get fired up for a game. But yeah, no, I was I was thinking back to that that game and. Uh, Performances were great. I do think, like you're, you brought up earlier about like if those chances had gone in, RSL becomes a team that punishes teams like New York City does. Yep. Um, but uh, a couple of things that I just I noticed that I thought were, were takeaways from that. Um, I was sitting uh, behind the Labara, and uh, there were some people that were uh, that were sitting among that group that definitely didn't weren't part of that group. I guess you could tell you could tell because they weren't they weren't really participating in the chance about. Maybe about 60 minutes into the game, second half, um, this group of people that was sitting with Labara started chanting with them, and th- the way that the pe- the the, the Labara uh, like kind of just descended on them and made them part of their group <laughs> was just an amazing thing to watch. Sure. So it was like, I mean, they're, they're chanting in Spanish, and I think if you don't speak Spanish, then maybe you don't. It's harder to like just participate. But seeing how welcoming that group was, that I think some people maybe even a little bit intimidated about like mm. being part of you know like going and sitting in that section. I thought I was just like. What a great community this is! It's you know it's very there's there's a lot of different things going on, but man, just seeing the people in that in that section just kind of come together, it was just it was it was fun to watch. My kids were there with me, and they yeah. were just they were loving it. We That's were, awesome. We were underneath their banner when it, when they scored goals, and so it was like cool. Yeah, so, but yeah, so and then the, one other thing that I noticed that was that was good. Now it reminds me of like you know what the result of this game was after feeling that playoff atmosphere and seeing so many things and watching, you know, some pretty great performances. Um, afterwards. Um, the uh, plant the flag um, yeah. setup was ready to go, and uh, I saw Kyle take the go and looking for you know because Kyle goes out and yeah, gives Kyle the, Schroeder gives the flag out to one of the players, and he went to to Justin Miriam to give it to him, and Justin turned it down, and he's like, no, not today, not because of the mm. result, because even at this as yeah. that wasn't a bad game. I think the the you know there was some things that just didn't go the way of ourselves. It easily yeah. could have been an RSL victory, but Justin, I saw him turn it down because and you know knowing what. You know, the reason, like, I saw Kyle do something, sure. Kyle uh, Beckerman do something similar a few years ago, but it's just because we're not going to celebrate this result. Yeah. Even yeah. though, like, 
I think that anybody in the stands, like we appreciated what had happened and what the, you know, we understood sure. the result, you know, not, um, but to see that that was the mentality, like in a yeah. game like this, cause what does the difference does it make about a two, two draw in, yeah. in April, yeah. you know, at home, it's like, you like hate just, to drop points at home. And, and that's where and, I love the, the fiery mentality yeah, from Miram because look, he scored an eighth minute goal. He was honored pregame for his 300th MLS regular season appearance in Colorado. He, Obviously, in his goal celebration, announced to the world that he and his wife are expecting another child. Like, it was a big night for him. And now all he's upset about is that he didn't finish that one yeah. breakaway in the 85th minute that could have made it 3-2. Yeah. And he had a couple other chances that could have made it 5-1 at some point. If Again, I love that. But at the same time, I also love that Demir's attitude is win or lose – we are going to circle the field, thank the fans. We are going to plant the flag. We're going to do all the things that, that weren't being done uh, to connect this club, the locker room, and its fan base uh, for far too long. Yeah, I, I mean, to be to – be, yeah, I, I definitely think that Justin wasn't uh, turning down anything for the fan. But because he definitely – he went around and he talked well, to dude, everybody. He, hearing you tell the story, it reminds me of Will Johnson when we won the Eastern Conference Championship in Chicago after the – after the shootout, he didn't want to touch that trophy. He's like, "This isn't. A, I'm superstitious. I'm gonna. Yeah. I want. I want next week's trophy. Yeah, for sure. And he ended up getting it. MLS Cup 2009. He didn't want the conference championship. Now, plenty of guys loved drinking out of that trophy that day and that night, but you know everybody's wired a little differently, and and that's kind of cool that you notice that with Justin. Real quick, you were in the South End. I look. I was in the press box, and I went down on the field. I think at one point, late first half, and I looked over to my left to the north end, and I was like, "Dude, that is the fullest I have seen the north end in a long time." So you talked about the atmosphere, and look, it was a little bit of a late arriving crowd. There were empty seats the first twenty minutes, but whenever there's empty seats, I look at the concourses, and the concourses were packed because people were getting here a little late, wanted to grab uh, food and drink before they sat down. But middle of the first half, man, the stadium, um, and, you know, we announced a sellout. I, I do think we had, like, just over 18,000 on the scan count, so butts in seats. And uh, it was rocking. It was a great atmosphere, and hopefully that's something we can do over and over and over again this summer because sellouts in the springtime in Utah are rare, right? We're very weather-dependent. People are kind of waking up that the soccer season's here, but generally we move a lot more tickets in the summer either because of group nights or uh, youth soccer tournaments or whatever else is going on in our community. They, they love to come celebrate here at Rio Tinto. So uh, I, the atmosphere, the new murals, some of the new fan experiential stuff, the temporary speaker system that will hopefully be permanent. We heard from Dan Farns last time about the new f pitch actually going in for next year. Um, and we got a lot of home games coming up, and especially if we make an Open Cup run, hopefully we get even more home games because the draw is not supposed to be rigged. But I think U.S. Soccer likes money, and we, if we're going to have big attendances for the Open Cup, I think we're going to get a fair amount of home games. So hopefully against Northern Colorado, we're able to break kind of a little streak where uh, we have four – our last four home Open Cup games have all been winless. Uh, we won a shootout. We lost a shootout. So those are technically ties. And then 18 and 19, both LAFC and Kansas City came in here and kicked our butts in uh, the round of 32. So 
Um, hopefully we can make a much deeper run. Wouldn't it be cool to get to CONCACAF in the first year under the Blitzer-Smith era and have a trophy, an Open Cup trophy, a little hardware? Pablo's first year as the permanent head coach. I think that's the goal, but I'm the only one that wants to think uh, five extra steps down the road. Everybody else wants to focus on one <laughs> game at a time. But it's easier to get to CONCACAF this way than – winning the supporter shield or getting to MLS Cup. Yeah, the the US Open Cups always has this sneaky uh I think even when you win it you do have to come you you have to win in some very difficult circumstances. It's not a there's no there's no one who has a straight direct shot to the US Open Cup. And I think RSL has uh, seen that several times. But uh um yeah, being being as many games as I have in this building and feeling the energy that I think is I, I my takeaway from that is definitely that people here are ready for soccer and they're ready for the season and I mean the season's already well in, underway. Um so this episode's going to come out on Wednesday, but it's not going it, it probably won't, so I so I want to talk about the um like the players that are on the starting 11 right yeah. now since sure. uh, we won't be spoiling anything okay. because by the time this come out comes out the the starting Yeah, you want me to go through the lineup here? Yeah, let's go let's go through the lineup because I think that this is what I love about the Open Cup is that we're going to see some people that we've been waiting to see, we're going to see some people sure. we've never seen. And so yeah, go through and just talk about like where everybody is because I think this lineup is going to be vastly different from the Saturday, Saturday yeah. in Portland. So but, I already teased kind of the spine a little bit, but you've got David Ochoa in goal. You have Justin Glad and Bobby Pierre at center back, uh, Tate Schmidt at left back, uh, Bodie Davis at right back. Then in midfield, you have Everton, Nick Beesler, and Jasper Loffelsund. And then up top, you have Rubio Rubin in the middle, flanked by Chris Garcia on the right and uh, Pierre Reedy on the left. So to your point, it's a great mix, right? Because Ochoa has extensive MLS experience from all of last year in the playoffs. Justin Glad has 161 MLS games. Tate Schmidt has been one of RSL's best performers this year, still I think leads the league in game-winning goals with two. But then over on the right, in, in you know, next to Justin Glad, you have Bobby Pierre, who's never played an MLS minute. He's only sat on the bench for one game when he was the emergency hardship call-up, along with Reedy in Colorado in on April 2nd. And then um, – who did I just say it right back? Oh, Bodie Davis. So Bodie had a cup of coffee, right? Played seven minutes against Nashville. Dax McCarty kicked him in the stomach. Um, he's been dressing and been part of the 18, 19, 20-man roster for a lot of these MLS games, but he hasn't played that much. Um, then in midfield, Everton and Nick Beasler played a million games together over the years, either Monarchs or RSL, but it's Beasler's first game of this year. It's Everton only his second start because, remember, his work visa wasn't ready for week one in Houston. Scott Caldwell and Pablo Ruiz have been really good. So Everton's only started one other game. I think it was in Colorado also on April 2nd. Ahead of them in the number 10 role is Jasper Loffelson. Jasper played – he's a rookie, but he played each of the first five games – kind of played a different position every game. He's a Swiss Army knife. Um, he got hurt after the Kansas City game, which was his first start, uh, which was an emergency start because uh, Johan Koppelhoff got hurt in warm-ups in Kansas City on March 26th. And then up top, Rubio Rubin making his first start of the year but uh, has a couple off-the-bench appearances. 
uh, for RSL already this year after his offseason um, adductor surgery. Chris Garcia has only played three MLS minutes his whole life. Seems like usually he's you know, a, a stoppage time sub to waste time. Um, so he gets a chance. He's excelled in the last three preseasons. He's done well at times with the Monarchs. So tonight's really a big opportunity for him to put his stamp on the game and show that he deserves Pablo's confidence in late-game situations for MLS. And then over on the left is Pierre Reedy, who we talked about uh, briefly. Again, a, a, a guy who's a little bit more of a Swiss Army knife but should be really fun to watch on that left side. Um, Reedy... Jasper, um, Bodie, and Garcia, all four of those guys run all the time. And then you've got kind of that veteran makeup of Rubin, Everton, Beesler, Glad, and I'm going to call Ochoa a veteran right now, even though he's still obviously very young, but he's finally getting healthy. And um, those guys hopefully will provide the stability and leadership that everybody around them need because, as we mentioned, for Northern Colorado, this is their World Cup final. They're going to come out fired up, and they're glad probably they don't have to go against Demir Krylock or Marcelo Silva or Justin Miram or Bobby Wood um, or Pablo Ruiz. Although I think Ruiz, Brody, Chang, and Haziel Orozco will all play the second 45. So that's a pretty strong bench, right? Haziel just getting called up this week to the U.S. Uh, under-20 national team. He's already a Mexican youth international, so obviously he's going to have to make that decision that David Ochoa made at some point in his future about which country he wants to represent as a dual national. Uh, that's a big honor, and um, Haziel not going to that U.S. camp until after Saturday's game in Portland, so presumably he's in the mix to maybe start that game as well, depending how Justin Glad gets out of this game tonight. Now, Justin may only play 45. He may play 90. He told the media Tuesday that he's he's fit enough to go 90. He's trained each of the last two weeks. Achoa's trained uh, a little less frequently the last two weeks. Obviously, Bobby Wood, Aaron Herrera are back in full training. All these guys are off the injury list. So these are good things. And, um, you know, Sergio Cordova is going to be on the bench. He's another guy that, you know, if you bring him in for the final 20, 30, even 45, um, that's a big, big, uh, high-caliber, high-pedigree lineup uh, for Pablo here in the Open Cup. The only... The only person without any club experience is the backup goalkeeper, Tomas Gomez, uh, who's been on the bench for RSL every game this year behind Zach because Ochoa was hurt. Um, you know, he was originally signed to a Monarchs contract, then his deal was upgraded for RSL. Now that Ochoa is healthy, it's going gonna, it's gonna to be interesting to see what happens with Gomez if he goes back uh, to an MLS Next Pro contract with the Monarchs. But... For me, and I haven't gone back and looked at all of our Open Cup lineups in the early rounds against lower division teams, Ryan, but I think this is as strong as it's been in a long, long time. Uh, we are six wins, one loss, one draw against lower division teams at home uh, in the Open Cup. That one loss was 2012, 3-1 loss, Minnesota Stars, when we did set a 17,212 single game, standalone game, attendance record for the third round of the Open Cup. So we've already broken that particular mark. Hopefully we don't have the same result on the field. But um, fans should be excited to see 
I think Achoa, Glad, Everton, Rubin, Beesler, right up the middle, and then younger guys on the outside and difference makers, right? Tate Schmidt has proven he's a difference maker in RSL and MLS this year. Um, and he, you know, he's a guy that probably said, I want to start this game because I got to get that New York City FC uh, memory out of my head, taste out of my mouth, and I want to move forward. Yeah, and I do like these uh, the the non league games. I think you do see a lot of performances that end up translating into league league um, appearances. I think that uh, maybe these were friendlies though, but I'm pretty sure Andrew Brody's first um, RSL minutes were. You know, I think that was a that was the might have been the Frankfurt game. Actually, that was a yeah. I think I think you could be right. I think Aaron Herrera also had a similar situation. Yep. Um, Pablo Ruiz. Pablo. So like yep. these are the games to watch. I think like this is the thing. So like if you're listening to this and you've already seen the results for this game, which we haven't seen, I think the big takeaway from this game, not knowing what these results are going to be, is like who is stepping up? Who's going to make this game their performance? You know, this right. is like, and and I think that's going to like going forward like. You know, is even as soon as as this Saturday is going to make a difference sure. in what is on the field, as you know, what RSL looks like on the field. So, um, yeah, we well, with all this in store, you know, we still have Portland this weekend, and I think that all these guys that are getting rest and maybe seeing, maybe watching their team from that other different perspective. Yeah. You know, a lot of these guys who never watch the game from anywhere besides the you know on the field or the right. sidelines watch it from a different angle. I remember um, one of the few like, one of Kyle Beckerman's takeaways when he was hurt for a couple of years was that watching the game from up in the stop, sure. up top, he saw something different than when he very went. different. And so yeah. um, I think that's good for guys like, you know, Justin and, and Demir and Bobby that have maybe just been right in the middle of it. You don't see yeah. what's going well, on. So. And look, we're only eight games into the season. The game is, or the season's 34, um, hopefully 40 by the time we get through the open cup. Um, those other guys, those older guys on the other side of 30, they got to pick their spots to take care of their bodies um, but like you said, it getting that perspective and helping set the culture, set the mentality, and not to repeat myself, but Bodie Davis, Chris Garcia, Pierre Reedy, even Bobby Pierre, even Everton, Nick Beesler, Rubio Rubin, um, all these guys, Jasper Loffelson, have something to prove to indicate to Pablo that they deserve more MLS minutes. Maybe as early, like you just said, as Saturday, where Garcia is saying, hey, I should be that late game sub because I can get behind the defense or I can hold the ball or I can do this or that or the other. And that goes for every one of those guys. David Ochoa is trying to get his job back because Zach McMath has been so good. I think he's second or third in MLS in saves this year. Yes, he had a, a bad game anytime you give up six, no matter how many are your fault or not. And a couple of them certainly were. Um, you had a bad game. But um, Zach's also a veteran leader of this team. He he wants to start 30 games this year because last year he watched Ochoa start, I think, 28. So, um, and look, those guys have a good relationship. They're amicable in training and off the field, but they both want to be the guy that is the first name in the starting 11 in ink every week. And uh, that's part of what uh, these Open Cup and other games will provide. As tough as it is to swallow a loss, and I was surprised that this is the as big a loss as they've ever had to, not to keep dragging through this, but I know that there's been some other ones that have been tough. But, I mean, you got to look at, like, that, that – I've just been thinking as we've been talking, you keep we keep bringing like Orozco's name up, and it's like if he was, you know, that that feeling that he had on the field in Yankee Stadium is never going to go away. And you know, in reality, it was just a a loss in April, 
in MLS season. So maybe that, you know, if that pushes him through, you know, to some big performances and the end of the season here when we need those points, you know, that's, well, that's going to be worth it. And again, I apologize if I am repeating myself, but I, I feel like I have said several times in the last six weeks when we've been going through this glut of injury that the silver lining was going to be Johan Kapelhoff or Jasper Loffelsund or Haziel Orozco or whoever uh, getting these minutes. And now when everybody's healthy, you've got a locker room, Ryan, that everybody's engaged. And that makes that makes the level of intensity and quality at every training session higher when guys are competing for those jobs. And then when you do get into those inevitable parts of the schedule where Pablo Ruiz is out because of yellow card accumulation or so-and-so is out because they're with a national team or whatever um, – that your team doesn't skip a beat because you're missing a guy that has started the last six games times 90 minutes. And look, that's what we're used to getting from Justin Glad every year. Sucks that he got hurt against Nashville. But now you've got him and Haziel Orozco. You know that Marcelo Silva is going to need some days off later in the year because he's an older guy. He doesn't play 30 or 34 games a year. He plays 20 to 24. So now you've now you're confident and you've got that backup and there's chemistry there's there's like Pablo loves this lineup that we're putting out from a um on paper perspective but those guys haven't really trained much together before yesterday because Monday was a regen from New York some of the guys and now it was a Monarchs bye week last week um so you know Reedy and Pierre are fresh um, but I'm excited to see what those guys brings because bring because you know look Bobby Pierre wants more MLS minutes and he wants to show that he's a difference maker on the Monarchs level. Well, depending how he does tonight, will be either a big step or a small step in that direction of those things he wants, and that goes for every one of the 18 guys that uh, are going to be uh, listed tonight. All right, everybody, thanks for tuning in. Hopefully that was a big U.S. Open Cup win Wednesday night at Rio Tinto Stadium. The draw for the next round of the Open Cup is Friday morning, April 22nd. We'll find out our date, time, and opponent for the fourth round. There's eight more uh, U.S.-based MLS teams that pop in the Open Cup at that round. There were four, I think, Tuesday night, Ryan, that got upset by lower division teams. Hopefully uh, not too many of those, at least not here at Rio Tinto on Wednesday. So the Open Cup path will be charted uh, later this week. The next game will be uh, May 11th. Don't know if RSL is home or away and who they're playing. They could play an MLS team. They could play a USL team. Uh, time will tell, but keep an eye out for Friday's draw. Obviously, watch Portland uh, hosting RSL Saturday night on all your usual uh, channels, KSL app and KMYU on Linear TV. Watch Talking Real with DJ and Dunny Thursday night on KMYU and KUTV. And obviously, keep it here at Bleeding Claret and Cobalt for anything you need. We're on Twitter at Claret Cobalt. We're on Instagram at Claret Cobalt. You can also go to anchor.fm slash Claret and Cobalt. Hit the message button there and tell us who you want to hear from, what you want us to talk about in upcoming episodes. Thank you, as always, to One Wire Fiber and our good friend Adam Sessions bringing you this pod now for 
over a year, Ryan, we've been doing this. The feedback's been great. Always looking to get uh, bigger and better. So we appreciate you, RSL Nation. We'll uh, have a new episode out very, very soon. Uh, as we look ahead, the games are going to be coming fast and furious. But uh, hopefully you all catch open cup fever like Ryan and I have. So thanks, everybody. Have a great week. Thank you.